on Derek Daly, who is quite the racer. You've raced um in many different things over the years. Of course, around here, we all know you from IndyCar. How are you doing today? I'm good, Jacob. Good. Thank you for having me on the show. So before we kind of get into, into IndyStar uh, or IndyCar stuff, not IndyStar, that's a magazine, but um, tell us a little bit about where your love for racing began. Um, I, I was always interested in cars. Uh, when I was 12 years of age in Dublin, walking home from school one day, I saw a truck that said Sydney Taylor Racing on the side of it. And my dad said there was a racing car in there. And at seven o'clock that night, I could go and see it, which I did. Got to see it, touch it, feel it. It was beautiful. It was a Brabham two-seat sports car with a green stripe down the middle and an Irish shamrock on it. And it was going to race in a, in, a, in a village called Dunboyne the next day. And my dad said, I'll take you to see the car race, which he did. We sat on a grass bank. And that, <laughs> excuse me, that day changed my life. I mean, I remember the noise, the smell, the sound, the speed, everything about it. And that was when I told my dad, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a professional race car driver. Fascinating. Um, so, of course, before you did IndyCar, you started over in Europe. You did some Formula One and two, if I'm correct. Take me mm -hmm. through a little bit of that. You know, um, what's the big difference, you know, that, well, I guess I shouldn't, we'll leave that for later on in the interview. But, you know, what was the kind of like racing in that, you know? Well, Europe obviously has a pretty structured system, particularly back in the 70s and 80s when I was coming through. You had Formula Ford, which is the lowest level of, on the ladder, then Formula 3, Formula 2, Formula 1. And the British Formula 3 championship was regarded as the most prestigious. Everybody that won that championship made it to Formula 1. And so um, there was a lot of wild things happened uh, to try and get myself to Formula 3. Um, I became a laborer in the iron ore mines of Australia for six months to get enough money to buy a car. Um, and then moved to England in 1976, lived like a gypsy in an old school bus that I carried a racing car, a mattress and a toolbox. And that's where I lived, literally going racetrack to racetrack for a year. And the following year, I got my first sponsor, an Irish successful businessman has said, you know what, you've shown a bit of promise here. I'll give you a chance to see what you can do in Formula 3. And of course, that was the magic move for me because instead of just racing in England in front of family and friends, I was now racing across Europe in front of professionals, uh, Formula One team owners and managers. Um, and I won the British Formula Three championship and that catapulted me straight to Formula One. Fascinating. And do you have a favorite um, Formula One memory? Of course, there's a lot of good tracks. Um, with Formula One, so many amazing tracks, just like IndyCar. What yeah, was your favorite? I, I suppose my favorite racetrack will be the old Osterreich ring in Austria. It's now called the Red Bull ring, but it's it's only half the size today as it was when we raced there. And it was just so fast, daunting, downhill and uphill, blind corners. I mean, it was an amazing place. That would be arguably my favorite racetrack. Interesting. And then, of course, after that, you came over, um, you raced IndyCar. You've had you raced Indy 500 a couple of times. Um, what was it kind of like transitioning? Well, at the end of the 1982 season, uh, which we finished in Las Vegas, um, two weeks after that, the final IndyCar race of the season was on in Phoenix. 
I had no idea where Phoenix was. I'd never seen an oval track. Um, um, but uh, I was offered a drive to see would I have any interest in, in IndyCar for the following season. I was curious. I went to Phoenix, loved the whole experience, and thought, you know, I'd like to do the Indy 500. So in 83, I came to Indy just for curiosity. And that was 40 years ago. Just never left. Life happened from there. Different opportunities happened in racing, outside racing. Uh, and I still live um, in the great city of Indianapolis. Would you be willing to potentially talk a little bit about, not not for long, but just a little bit about what your accident was like at um, the Michigan Speedway? Sure, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing about IndyCar is the speeds are so amazingly high. And I came in in an era when speeds jumped uh, the largest jump, I think, in almost in history. But the cars were nowhere near as strong as they needed to be. Um, the driver was used as ballast. They push him as far forward in the chassis as possible, which means your feet and your legs were ahead of the central line of the front axle. So if ever there was a big accident, your feet were first at the scene of the accident. And unfortunately, that happened to me in Michigan. I had a high-speed crash. It was the largest, highest crash impact a driver had ever managed to survive. And I was in therapy for almost three years. I ended up at 19 surgeries. Um, I had bone grafting, skin grafting, uh, traumatic amputation of a toe, uh, surgical fusions on my left ankle uh, and on my right foot. Um, and, it's, you know, life changed right there and then. Uh, but but um, I got back to racing full time. I won the biggest international races of my career after my accident. Um, but but my accident uh, really it, it it probably terminated my IndyCar career early, but it also started a television career, which went on for twenty years. For sure, absolutely. And you know what would you say? And that's a really um, quite the story there um, about how you kind of turned it around after something very bad had happened to you. Um, what would you say, and it's glad to see that you look great today, um, what was the best memory of the Indy 500? Um, so many good racers, which there's a lot of good racers today. Your son was a racer um, most recently. And what was kind of your favorite memory, though, of the Indy 500? Is it just the experience of walking out there in the car and seeing, oh, my gosh, there's 300,000 people around here? Is that so kind I of came, what's the experience so, as a so driver? I came, from, I came from Formula One. We have some pretty big events there. I mean, the Grand Prix of Monaco in the harbor in Monte Carlo, that's as good as it gets. You know, Monza, the sheer speed of Monza, the Italian Tifosi, I mean, that's amazing. However, it paled in comparison, which is a surprise to me, to what it was like at the Indy 500. So my first year at Indy, was the most impressive because it was it was a lot of firsts. I'd never seen 140,000 people show up for qualifying day. Just one car at a time, going fast. Um, I, I'd never seen that. I was just so amazed. And like, then, of course, race day. I mean, the pomp and ceremony, the pre-race ceremonies, just the level at which Indy builds the, the event is really quite amazing. And, and, and so, so even today, even today, I will walk out onto the grid and just absorb the 
um, the pre-race ceremony and just stand there and get goosebumps all over me, just enjoying the pageantry of, of the build-up to the great race. Interesting and, and very fascinating on that. And then kind of two other questions I have. One is, you know, where do you kind of see um, with all that's going on? A lot of people would say cars are safer today. There's a lot. Um, there was a lot of, unfortunately, deaths almost every single race or a lot of bad accidents like you had. Um, of course, there's still accidents today, but, you know, with technology, it's become a lot safer. So what is kind of your perspective on all of that, you know, um, with it being a safer sport today? Oh, with, without a doubt, IndyCar has built the safest racing car on the planet, bar none. To think that a driver can hit a concrete wall at 200 miles an hour and just step up, walk away, and ask for the spare car is, is amazing. The, the, what they've learned about the, the body and how to absorb energy and how to dissipate energy through crash structures in the car that are built in, I mean, it's amazing. Delara have done an amazing job um, at, at, at looking in detail at every accident um, um, and looking to see where they can make mi micro changes is what it is right now to the design of a manufacturer of these cars to continue to make them safer and safer. Uh, and they've done a remarkable job. Now, the, ra the racing will always be dangerous. We're always going to have people killed, not at the level they were killed, um, you know, back in years ago. Day. Yeah, but, but it is dangerous. Part of the allure of the sport is because it's dangerous. If it wasn't dangerous, many drivers today probably wouldn't be interested in it because it's man and machine pushing the limits to what might be possible that makes it dangerous and gives it that immense satisfaction when you do excitement for sure. Yeah. And that's yeah. really what the fans want too. You know, the fans want to see entertainment, you know, they just see, cars going 10 miles an hour around a circle, they're not going to like it as much. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's yeah. what, that's why IndyCar is different, of course. And then kind of the last question is so much is changing, you know, in sports like, you know, basketball or football and other things. So it's hard to compare eras and things like that. But what would you say your advice would be for today's era? Of course, you have a son that's been involved. Um, what would you kind of advise for somebody in today's era wanting to get involved Um because it's such a changing way from it was 30, 40 years ago, from what you see in today's current circumstance. Right. Um, it's, it's a very difficult sport to succeed in. Um, it's a sport that needs total dedication and commitment. You have to have a desire built in that no matter what goes wrong, and it will go wrong, lots of things will go wrong, but no matter what goes wrong, you're still going to push through but it is the greatest sport in the world, in my opinion, that teaches young people, male and female, how to interact with adults at a, at a very young age, how to stretch and push yourself to the edges of what might be possible, both physically, mentally, and intellectually. And it's a sport where you can't hide anything. Any weakness will be exposed fairly quickly um, but if you if if you if you make the commitment and you stick with it and you come out sex successful at the other end, I think it's the greatest sport in the world. Quite fascinating. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on with Jacob Beers today. I truly appreciate it. I'm sure I'll see you around the track at some point. Good. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you.